0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to All Things Episcopal, where we talk about everything and anything related to the Episcopal Church. This podcast was designed with young people in mind, so ages specifically 18 to 39, and it's a place to learn more about the Christian faith, um, specifically through the Episcopal lens. With this podcast in particular, we're going to offer a variety of ways to learn about the Episcopal Church. Some of these learning opportunities will come through conversations and interviews, sermons, and the reading of the daily office. We'll talk a little bit about that. We also want you to know that while we love our clergy, we also cherish the ministry of the laity. The laity, as our Book of Common Prayer says, is to represent Christ and His Church bear witness to Him wherever they are and according to the gifts given to them to carry on Christ's work of reconciliation in the world and to take their place in the life, worship, and governance of the Church. Which is why we have Laity represented in the planning and production of this podcast along with clergy. We also deeply care about this podcast being a representation of the whole body of Christ which means you're going to hear from a diverse group of voices. So in traditional Episcopal greeting fashion, the Lord be with you.
1: And also with you. And also with you.
0: Hey, friends, welcome back to All Things Episcopal. Today's episode is a very special one for a couple of our podcast hosts, since we are talking about ecumenical work and partnerships. So when we talk about ecumenical work, we are referring to the work being done with a diverse group of Christians. Um, this is different from interfaith or interreligious or even multi-faith work, um, which engages people of different religious or non-religious belief systems. We're going to have an episode about interfaith work at a later point, but we want to make that distinguish- or distinction ahead of time. For Father David, this topic is particularly special because he serves as the ecumenical officer for the Diocese of West Missouri, and for Claire, this is particularly exciting because her background has been spent doing mostly ecumenical and interfaith work with high school students and college students. For Father David and Claire, this is one way they exercise their faith in the world and today's guest on the podcast takes it a bit further because she does this on a daily basis as an Episcopal priest, serving drum roll, please, both an Episcopal church and a Lutheran congregation. For our listeners, we want to be clear when we say we are when we are referring to the Lutheran Church, we are referring to the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America or more commonly known as the ELCA. Our guest today is the Reverend Ann, Kyle. Her preferred pronouns are she, her. She is an Episcopal priest serving two congregations in West Central Missouri town of Sedalia. She was ordained to the diaconate in 2015 and to the priesthood in June of 2016. She has served Calvary Episcopal in Sedalia since Christmas of 2015. In September 2017, Mother Anne was called to join a shared ministry between Calvary Episcopal and Christ and Trinity ELCA Lutheran Churches, both located in Sedalia. Mother Anne says the opportunity to enter into shared ministry is a blessing to both congregations and moving us forward in new and wonderful ways. So get comfy, y'all. This is going to be a full conversation about full communion, and I'm going to let Father David talk a little bit more about the history of full communion in the Episcopal Church and the ELCA. And Mother Ann will come in and talk about the practicalities of that. So, Father Great. David,
1: thanks, Claire. <laughs> All right. So to set the so that's the way deep background to. To narrow the camera focus just a little bit, Um, ecumenical now, just some people may not know what does that word mean, ecumenism or ecumenical. It basically, it comes from the Greek word for house or world, and it basically has been a term that tries to refer to when the church is able to gather together as one body, which sadly we have not been able to do since, well, starting in 1054 when the Western Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox churches basically excommunicated each other over a host of reasons that are not worth going into here, Um, that was exacerbated in the West in in 1517 uh, with the Lutheran, with the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, which um, I think most Christians would agree was probably at least somewhat necessary if something that we wished had not happened. So around the end of the 19th century, there began to be more discussions about how the Christian churches might begin to find their way back into becoming one house, right? One ekoineme, which is ecumenical, and how we, and what, what might that look like? An important contribution to this was a series of Resolutions, first one adopted by the Episcopal House of Bishops in 1886. And then two years later, the Lambeth Conference, and that is a conference of all bishops of the Anglican Communion, that is, those churches that are descended from the Church of England that gets together about once every 10 years. They adopted basically more or less the same statement that the House of Bishops and the Episcopal Church had adopted. And that was in 1888. And so, and that, it's called, it's been called the Chicago Lambeth Quadrilateral. Quad meaning four. And basically, it was where uh, the Anglican Communion set forth four basic principles that they would hope that all churches could eventually kind of come coalesce around as a means to a what was called a home reunion, a reuniting. Of the churches. Um, So those four conditions are first, the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments as containing all things necessary to salvation and as being the rule and ultimate standard of faith. And the second part of the quadrilateral, the Apostles' Creed as the baptismal symbol and the Nicene Creed as sufficient statement of the Christian faith. Then the third part of this quadrilateral would be the two sacraments ordained by Christ himself, baptism and the supper of the Lord, or the Eucharist, ministered with unfailing use of Christ's words of institution and the elements ordained by him. And that basically means where whenever a priest basically You know, repeats the words that Christ used at the Last Supper. This is this, you know, this is the, this is take this bread, this is my body for uh, the new covenant of reconciliation, or this is this, take this cup of wine, this is my blood. Do this for the remembrance of me. So those two sacraments would be a central part of any reunited Christian church. And then finally, the historic episcopate locally adapted in the methods of its administration to the varying needs of the nations and peoples called of God into the unity of his church. Now the historic episcopate there, there's another term for that you could call it the apostolic succession. And that is the, the idea that the, that the, the, the teaching authority of the church that first that Jesus first gave to the 12 apostles that that authority has been handed down through through the generations through the laying on of hands starting with the original 12 apostles and then continuing through their successors who have come to be called what, bishops okay um and so that has continued and so episcopalians and anybody who's part of the anglican communion We can say that every bishop in that communion can trace their ordinations as bishops all the way back to the first Archbishop of Canterbury, a a Benedictine monk named Augustine, who himself was made a bishop by Pope Gregory the Great, and he came to England in the year 597 AD, basically to re evangelize the island that had kind of that. That had, where basically, you know, if you remember some of your ancient history, the Roman Empire had left the island of Britain in, in around four hundred, and basically then you had had the Anglo Saxons who had come across from continental Europe. They had invaded and they had kind of pushed the the Celtic Britons all the way to the western part of what we now call Wales, and and they were pagan, and so Augustine was here to in effect evangelize the Anglo Saxons. And every and he set up his see at a town called Canterbury in southern England. And since then, every bishop that's been ordained in England and then in those churches descended from the Church of England, they can trace their ordination back to Augustine and really then to Pope Gregory the Great. And so, so those are the four things that uh, the Episcopal Church has consistently said that they would hope could be a part of a reunited Christian church. Now, there have been various dialogues that have been going on uh, since the 1880s toward a fuller communion among different. uh, There have been dialogues between the Episcopal Church and the Roman Catholic Church. And one group of these dialogues had been taking place between the Episcopal Church and the Lutheran Church. And this all kind of uh, culminated In a document that was approved by the ruling bodies of both the Episcopal Church and ELCA, and this agreement was agreed to, but both churches agreed to this around the year 2000, and it's called Called to Common Mission, an agreement of full communion. And I'm going to try to summarize it here, and Anne, I know you probably have your own familiarity with it, so if there are things that maybe I don't get quite right, feel free to you know correct me. But basically, the agreement is one in which we in the Episcopal Church and the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, we agree that our agreements on the basics of the faith um, – on the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, the creeds as a sufficient statement of Christian faith, the two sacraments ordained by Christ himself, the baptism and the Eucharist, that we have enough of an agreement about those about those basic understandings that we could form uh, basically not, not so much a, a new church where everything is completely merged together, but a common understanding that we share enough of an understanding that under under you know that when that when it's necessary and when it's agreed to you can actually have shared ministry between the ELCA and the Episcopal Church okay and so that agree- now the, the one and this is where it, the one possible sticking point was over the question of the historic episcopate um, you know, as I said, the, Epis- the Episcopal Church, we we can kind of say that we're a part of that. Uh, the bishops, then there are bishops in, the, in ELCA, but, um, for historical reasons, they were not part of that visible chain of the laying on of hands that I spoke of earlier. But we understood that in fact, they are bishops, that they, they exercise the ministry of oversight. And that that has been gone back to the New Testament. then there in our agreement on the Eucharist was enough that we could say we accept Lutheran bishops as bishops. And then the Lutherans very graciously agreed that out of episcopal reverence for that historic, that visible chain of the laying on of hands, uh, they've agreed that wherever, that when new bishops are consecrated in ELCA, that there will be um, at least three bishops present to lay hands on that Lutheran bishop who can say that they are part of that succession, that visible historic succession. And so and, and so th- this agreement makes possible. What, what Mother Ann is now doing, where she is both the rector of an Episcopal church and also the pastor of a, a Lutheran church all at once, okay? And so now having given all the long history, uh, let, let's kind of talk more about that specifically. So, Ann, why don't, why don't you, first of all, just say where you're coming from and talk a little bit about, about how you came to this you know, it's kind of a special calling. It may be that hopefully there'll come a day where it's not so unique, but mm-hmm. for now it is still kind of a unique thing. So why don't you kind of talk about how you came to this unique calling?
2: I would love to do that. And David, thank you for giving such a wonderful history. You were, you were um, ticking off a lot of things that I try to remember and that uh, sometimes I have to look up. Um, so this has been tried in other dioceses, And in other communities in our diocese, when I was still in seminary, um, the pastor at Blue Ridge Trinity ELCA Church in Raytown um, came into a shared ministry with um, St. Matthew's Raytown, and he was um, serving both of the churches. And so I looked to, that's the Reverend um, Oren, oh, my stars and garters, Oren's name just flew out of my head. fabulous guy. Um, his, well, I know his nickname. His nickname is Pastor Father, and my nickname is Mother Pastor. Um, that's Chaz Marks, as you might not be surprised to learn. But he gave me a, Orin Cummings. Oren Cummings gave me a lot, of, um, um, a lot of information to kind of help me get started. So it was already being done successfully in this diocese. In the Central States Synod, which covers all of Kansas and Missouri, this is being done in a lot of other places, especially in Kansas. Um, our ELCA siblings are in communion partnership with um, Presbyterian Church, with the Methodist Church, and with others. So, the Episcopal Church is just one. So, there are some um, uh, Methodist and Lutheran path um, partnerships and some um, Presbyterian and Lutheran partnerships happening in Kansas right now. I came to this, um, um, I came to the priesthood as a second career or second calling and began to serve here in Sedalia while I was still working full-time as a public health nurse in emergency preparedness for the state of Missouri over in Jefferson City. Um, So about an hour away, and I was just about quarter time here. over on Saturday nights and stayed till Sunday and um, a little bit during the week and sort of doing the best we can. And we came to know that the local ELCA congregation had um, that their uh, last full-time pastor had answered a different call, and they were in an interim with a very part-time interim pastor. And um, they began to work with the bishop who was serving the ELCA, the Central State Synod at that time, and with our bishop at that time, um, to see what could we do to make something um, work for these two churches in Sedalia. Um, One of the things that stood out to me immediately is that all of the big stuff is a no-brainer. We love to worship. We love to break bread in Holy Communion and then go break bread again in the fellowship hall. We, um, you know, of course, everything that David said, we share the creeds. Um, The apostolic succession, well, my bishop, uh, Bishop Susan Candia of the Central State Synod is in the succession. Her hands were laid on her by um, our previous bishop, uh, the Right Reverend Marty Field, when she was consecrated as bishop for our synod, and so all of those things are working themselves out, and the differences are really so little. Um, so I, I was called to come and talk to the call committee at the Lutheran Church, and they wanted to know, well, hey, if, if we can pull this off, will you do it? And I said, yeah, yeah, I'll uh, I'll leave my lab coat in Jefferson City and come on over to Sedalia and, and um, be your priest and pastor. And one of the best questions I got, and it was from a wonderful gal named Wanda, who was then teaching um, catechism. She was teaching, preparing kids for confirmation in the ELCA church. And she said, how can an Episcopal priest be a Lutheran pastor? How can you know what it means to be Lutheran? And My answer came very much out of what I believe foundationally about ministry in the church, which is that the ministers of the church are first and foremost laypersons, as well as bishops, priests, and deacons. And so my answer was, you're going to teach me. I know the basics. I know that Luther, 500 years ago, and I started the position one month before the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, and I tell you what, there was a stack of stuff on my desk. We're going to be burying a time capsule. We're going to have a big celebration. You're going to have to preach. Oh, my gosh. Whoa. Um, We did it. And I said, "You're, you're going to teach me how to do this. I said, what I know, what's the basic thing I know? Martin Luther loved the church and he saw that the church needed correction, and he wished for a reform of the church he so dearly loved. So, in the heart of what was happening, I believe, at the time of Luther with the Reformation, was that the house would be built better, but not that it would become more than one house. And so, I feel like, in a way, Um, those of us in Sedalia and people all over other places where this is happening are going back to the heart of what reformers like Martin Luther and others really, really wanted. And it's kind of exciting to do that. Um, And I'll let you break in. I had one kind of neat thought, David, when you were reminding us of what the word um, ecumenical means and, you know, one house, Uh, this Sunday is a fifth Sunday. And for about a year now on fifth Sundays, my two congregations come together in one house and we will be here at Calvary Episcopal. We split the difference between nine and 11 o'clock. We come together at 10. We text and email and call people a lot to make sure that that gets out there. Um, And we worship together. If we're at the Episcopal Church, we worship in the Episcopal Church liturgy and style. And if we're at the Lutheran Church, we use the Lutheran Church liturgy and style. And uh, this is a huge celebration this week. It's a celebration of music. I'm musicians from both churches and a big for us uh, combined choir. And we always eat. You have to, you break bread at that altar and then you got to go downstairs and break bread again. So um, we're going to do a bunch of one house stuff this week.
1: Wow, that's great. So just to be clear, the, the the differences, and you can confirm this is my understanding, that when it comes to worship, the structure is basically the same. I mean, the wording is different here and there, but it's basically the same thing. We we hear you hear the word of God, mm-hmm. you pray, and then you celebrate communion yep. and and both and both the Episcopal Church and the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America understand that Holy Communion is a sacrament. In which Christ is fully present to us um, through the means of bread and wine, mm-hmm. right? Yes, and so, yes. yeah. So, so there you go. We're basically doing the same. We are doing the same thing. Yeah. Uh, the differences are always going to be, and I guess there is every each. You know, you're right about the history, right? Luther did not. He wanted to reform mm-hmm. the church. He did not want to cause a break. That happened for. Uh, various reasons you know mm-hmm. a lot of uh, things just got out of hand <laughs> okay um and so now that said since then right that was five as you just pointed out it was 500 years ago uh things happen in 500 years and so different and 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 so one thing is the the church you know and even the episcopal church we always say you know, we hold that all, anyone who's baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit is considered to be a member of Christ, one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And the different institutions, the Episcopal Church, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, the Roman Catholic Church, we are all part of that church. Um, at the same time, you know, uh, the Lutherans, as you found out, the Lutherans have their history. We Episcopalians have uh, our history, <laughs> um, you know, and so, ha, I, I'm, so I'm, I'm not sure if I'm, I'm going to try. I don't know if I can nail this. I, I don't know how much I could narrow the question down, but I guess in a sense, what have you learned now? And this was so that was 2017. So you've been doing this mm-hmm. now for about six years. Mm-hmm. So what what have you learned about the the distinctive History of ELCA, how that relates the distinctive history of the Episcopal Church from which you're coming, mm-hmm. and where are so and and then where are where have you found been able to show people common ground, and I guess and then honestly where might there still be some, you know, sort of, ten, some sticking points.
2: The common ground is huge. It's most of what makes us up as. Um, Christian persons, whether in the Episcopal Church or in the ELCA Lutheran Church, the biggest distinction I find so much and truly is the same distinction you would find if you were in um, a community with two small Episcopal Churches and if i were ser- or or if i had ended up in a situation say where i was serving uh calvary episcopal here in sedalia and christ episcopal in warrensburg 25 miles west of me um that i would find that there are different personalities and that there're different ways of being together different ways of doing um church um different um golly, the thing that popped into my head was sacred cows, you know, different things that um, you must always do or you must not ever do um, are probably, they're probably not not even any more various than they would be between two sort of similar Lutheran churches or two sort of similar Episcopal churches. And they just happen to be in the different... Um, in the different denominations. And sometimes people will say, oh my gosh, I can't believe what you do. You must be so busy. You have to deal with two denominations. For the most part, really the only thing that is adding to the lift is um, two different bulletins, two different newsletters, you know, two different bishops and assemblies or conventions or whatever. There's a little bit of extra on that. But most of what I'm finding is so much grace that um, I might miss a clergy gathering in one or the other denomination because we always gather at the same time in the fall. You know, I can't always do both. <laughs> or I, um, um, you know, I preach the same sermon at both churches. There might be one paragraph different somewhere in there. Um, but, mo- you know, so it's just, it's like having a congregation that's wacky and has two buildings. <laughs> um, in some ways, I mean, sometimes it, it comes down to that.
1: Yeah. And of course, it, it helps that we, we use the same. There's a lectionary called the Revised Common Lectionary. A lectionary, for those who not know that fancy word, that's basically um, a plan of reading the Bible that we use in the Episcopal Church and in the ELCA and other churches. It's like a three-year cycle that goes through the Bible systematically. And because we use the same lectionary, that's right. You're often going to be preaching almost always the same lessons.
2: It's the same but stuff. Yeah, it's always the same stuff. And um, I think the lectionary is a wonderful, wonderful tool for us. And I I find that it's a good stretch for preaching because there are definitely weeks that I would prefer to just preach on something else. But there we are. You know, we get what we yeah. get and, and we deal with it the best we can. Um It's... Uh, There was something that very important happened in both of these congregations, and I've seen it in other congregations as well, that I think was vital to the success that we've seen, and partly I mean the success in accepting. Both of these congregations have in their history, and in fairly recent history, full-time pastor or priest Right here in the community, dedicated to just that congregation. And when a congregation has become accustomed to that, I think before they can easily make that big change to say, oh, sure, we'll just share our priest with the Lutheran church now, or we'll just share our pastor across town. I think it was healthy for both of the churches that they went through a season where they had very, very part time pastoral presence. Um, Christ and Trinity had a very part-time, very good interim, uh, pastor who was here on Thursdays and Sundays. That was it. Mm-hmm. And he, of course, he was here for their weddings and their funerals and, and sick calls and things like that. But for the most part, they had to learn how to be on their own. And Calvary had gone through a similar season. They had gone through a time when they didn't have a full-time presence and then when they, um, had long-term supply priest, when they had different priests every week if they had a priest, and then when they had um, had a couple of rounds of priests who were very, very part-time, both of these congregations learned how to be the church and learned that, well, there might be somebody in one of those, or there might not, and the sick still get visited, and celebrations still happen, and the building is cared for, and um, the good news is shared. And those are huge. I just think those were very important transitional pieces for both of the congregations.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, that,
2: of course, that's
1: something that, um, I think a lot of churches have, have, have tried to rediscover the sense of the idea that the, that, that the, the ordained are not the only ministers of the church. You know, in fact, our catechism, uh, it asks the question, who, who are the ministers of the church? The ministers of the church are laypersons, bishops, priests, and deacons. So, really, three orders lay people, well, actually, four, I guess uh, lay people, bishops, well, three lay people, bishops, priests, and deacons. Uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, my math isn't quite right, but you know what I mean. Um, Right. And I think if we were
2: going to revise the prayer book, the only thing I would change on that part of the catechism is that we would underline and highlight uh, laypersons.
1: In fact, I think our catechism kind of tries to do that by making the after the that question I just quoted, the next question is, What is the ministry of the laity? Mm -hmm. And I think it's important. I think they were sending a message by making the first order the laity. Mm -hmm. Um, And it says, The ministry of laypersons is to represent Christ and his church. And that's what it says of all the orders of ministry. Each order is to represent Christ in the church in different ways. Um, the laity are to bear witness to Him wherever they may be, and according to the gifts given to them, to carry on Christ's work of reconciliation in the world and to take their place in the life, worship, and governance of the church. So the truth is, the laypersons—they're the most important because if the mission of the church is to Restore this broken world to unity with God and each other in Christ. Our, its clergy, you know, to put a more, you could say, we're coaches. Yes, we're 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 coaching the laity on how to carry out that work. They're the ones who have to do the most important work out there. And um, it does rem- it does also bring to uh, the forefront that sometimes this work is uh becomes what's the what's the word what mother what's the phrase about the uh, invention being the mother of necessity or
2: oh necessity is the mother of invention
1: necessity is the mother of invention
2: you know when we have the need then we begin to look for the solution and um um you know this is a compelling need in the church there are lots of churches um ELCA Lutheran, Episcopal, and lots of other kinds of churches that exist in um, a small place or a small congregation in a big, even if it's in a bigger uh, regional place. And I think one of the things that we're saying in the call to common mission and in trying this grand experiment is that there are gifts in the little church. There are gifts in the medium-sized church. There are gifts in the church out in the middle of the cornfield, St. Oswald, so beautiful. And that being creative is what's going to take us um, forward in really exciting ways.
1: That's right. And so this was necessary because both churches basically could not afford a full-time priest.
2: And that's and still true so, for both
1: of us. Yeah. And and so it became necessary to find ways to increase the, the important, you know, there was still a need for ordained leadership. There are still things that basically you do need someone set apart or ordained, you know, to, to do, to help the church grow. And, um, and so, yeah. Um, what else do I want to ask you? Um, hmm. So one, Oh, I will point out that we, and this, this collaboration is not just at a parish level. Mm -hmm. Um, So the diocese of West Missouri is headquartered in Kansas city and they're next, next to our cathedral church, grace and Holy Trinity. And there's a very nice uh, headquartered building that, and a couple of years ago um, in order to kind of save resources, uh, the Diocese, the Episcopal Diocese of West Missouri, and it's called the Central State Synod, I believe, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of ELCA, basically started sharing that office space. So I think the Central States is downstairs, the uh, Episcopal Diocese is upstairs.
2: <laughs> it cut their, uh, their rental costs and other overhead by more than half, and mm-hmm. it added a um, um, very useful uh, bit of income to our budget in the Episcopal Church. And so it's been a win-win. It's really great,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and I can see both my bishops in one place. There and you I go. Have. That
1: helps, doesn't it? <laughs> that? That's very helpful, isn't it? <laughs> when you got to answer to two. Yeah, what's it like answering? I gotta ask. What's it like answering to two bishops?
2: Oh, I always say I'm the luckiest um, presbyter in the in the diocese, the luckiest pastor in the synod. You know, I got two bishops. Um, it's fine. It's it's perfectly okay, and I have um, a good relationship with with both of the bishops and. Um, I can I can call on either of them as a council of advice for um, for you know a- anything that a, a clergy person would call upon their bishop for I can do um, so it's it's okay.
1: Now this is kind of a consider this a little bit of a shameless plug for an upcoming episode, but Claire, I believe that we are <laughs> we are hoping to have a an episode of this podcast where we have our. ELCA bishop and our Episcopal bishop on. Is that correct, Claire?
0: That is definitely correct. We we got one uh, confirmation from one of them saying that they were interested. We just need to ask the other. Okay.
1: <laughs> so let me bring you back into this conversation, Claire. I mean, what, what thoughts, what questions do you have uh, having heard us uh, talk about all this stuff?
0: I loved every minute of it. Um, the thing that you know, as a millennial, I get really excited for is talking about church in traditional ways or as Father David likes to say, timeless ways, but also innovative ways. And I think full communion with our siblings of uh, different denominations is actually proving um, to live into our baptismal covenant to be The body of Christ, um, to have unity within, uh, unity over uniformity. Um, I think that's the best way of saying it. And to acknowledge that the diverse way of worship, um, sometimes even our way of interpreting scriptures, things like that, Mm -hmm. can actually enlighten our minds to how we engage the triune God in everyday life. Um, and it can prove a more expansive way of seeing how God is revealing God's self to us, um, as the time goes on. Um, our last episode just dropped today for the podcast, and we had two college students, um, on the podcast that attend Father David's church. And they were talking about being the church of the future and the things that, um, they both loved about the Episcopal church and things that they struggled with. So I'm, I'm curious for you as someone who floats in these two worlds of the Episcopal denomination, as well as the ELCA, um, what are things that you find very hopeful and joyful in, and some things that you feel like we could iron out um, together through some, some more conversation.
2: I think, um, well, Claire, first of all, I want you to come worship with us at 10 o'clock this Sunday if you want timeless and non-traditional, because we're going to have our, our beautiful pipe organ and very traditional sounding choir doing some very um, timeless anthems. And we're also going to have um, an ensemble that occasionally plays at the Lutheran Church with a stand-up bass and a guitar and a violin and a keyboard and um, very much some old-timey music. Um and that's, you know, it's a celebration of music. So we'll we'll do a little of whatever you would expect the normal liturgy to be, and then we'll have some kind of music. We were supposed to have a tuba solo, and the tubist is not feeling well. So uh, we'll save that for summer. But um, y- you know, it's there are definitely, and, and again, we would see this in different episcopal churches. And I'm just picturing all these wonderful episcopal congregations around our diocese and others that I've known in other places. There are gonna be differences of of theology and different approaches to Scripture. I mean, you can tune in and see what Father David has to say on Sunday and what Father Colin has to say on Sunday and what I have to say on Sunday, and, you know, you're going to see and hear um, different things. And um, I think that how we approach Scripture, how we imagine God to be revealing God's self to us comes forward whether it's out of the pulpit or out of um, that that walking living breathing hands and feet of God uh, gospel differently in different contexts and with different groups of people um, it's even different within churches you know if the if if the the ladies group is going to go out and, and do whatever it is they do um, it's going to be different than if the choir's getting together so those differences, and I've even said of my my work with the Ministerial Association in Sedalia, which is a really broad group of people, that there are some of my, my siblings in that group that I think I have about this much theology. We may say we agree about that much, but what we agree about is really the biggest part, is that we believe in um, Jesus Christ and the Trinity um, and uh, the love that has come down to us from God through our experience of Of uh, father son and holy spirit and so that huge thing is the thing we agree on Uh, it's just all that other stuff we just leave that beside and and uh, get to work
1: Mm.
0: no i i love every minute of that um i uh i'm currently finishing up my second year of seminary in two two days time (laughs) um and uh i'm actually attending a presbyterian seminary Mm -hmm um with the hopes of becoming an episcopal priest at some point. So I float in that ecumenical world frequently in my studies as well. So these are questions that I'm constantly asking like how do we um find the the core truths um mm-hmm. and the agreements um but also perhaps glean some uh some wisdom and um holy envy, so to speak, from, from our siblings of a different denomination and ask, can you tell me more? And, and remain curious because I think, you know, going back to um, one of the great sacraments, baptism, uh, one of my favorite lines in our baptismal covenant, um, or sorry, not the covenant itself, but the liturgy is um, give them inquiring and discerning hearts. Um, that's that's one of my favorite parts because it it forces us to stay active in our faith um, to always be questioning where God is and where God is calling us to be um, as individuals, as communities, as congregations. So, um, I have one question for you. Okay, and um, it has to do with the. Broad church, low church, high church. Um <laughs> and I am constantly asking this question of um what style of of worship, so to speak, does your Episcopal congregation have? And how does that meet with the ELCA? Because even amongst the co co-hosts of this podcast, I think we have some differences in in how the style of worship we engage in is high church low church broad church
2: <laughs> so i will say that i'm broad church and if my very very dear friend father charles everson hears that he will say no you aren't you're snake belly low mother ann and i love you um i'm probably the 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 most low church of of the three of us on um, on here right now. I'm just guessing. I'm not as sure with, with Colin, but um, fairly broad. And I started laughing when you asked this question. Um, broad to low is probably true over at Christ in Trinity. And when I had been their priest, their pastor for about six weeks, um, Pastor Dwayne Levine of Blessed Memory died. He was a retired pastor and a member of my my congregation. And when I went out to the farm to visit his wife and his son, um, and I knew them, and I knew I knew his wife actually better than I knew him. I, I said, um, now, Marine, um, I want this to be a beautiful service for, um, for Pastor Dwayne, and she said, now, Mother Anne, she's the only Lutheran who calls me Mother Anne because that's how she met me. She was substituting on our organ here, so she calls me Mother Anne. Um, Dwayne was very high church. Um, do you think you could ask the Episcopal Church if we could use their incense? And I thought. Well, that's kind of me. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah, we've we have a nice thurible and I have a, a very good thoroughfer because I thought my first Lutheran funeral, I'm not gonna juggle this many things. And then she said that she wanted um um then pastor Susan Candia, now our bishop, to preside. And I said, Thank you, Jesus, I am a very happy person now. So I learned because I'd never even been to a Lutheran funeral, so I learned how to do a Lutheran funeral. But when all of my um new friends, all these Lutheran pastors, were gathering uh, where we were vesting for the service. Here hung the thurible and there's smoke everywhere um, from the incense. And when I walked in to vest, they all just turned and looked at me like, you know, what? Like, what is wrong with you? And I, I was time out. This was not my idea. So yeah, they're definitely um, probably a little bit more low church, but it works out well. They get really excited over at Christ in Trinity. If my husband, who is also a priest, uh, subs in for me, and he's, you know, fiddling with the Lutheran liturgy, and he'll get lost, and so he just chants the communi- communion liturgy, which is uh, um, not one of my superpowers, and they love it, So, mm. yeah.
0: I am a person that does love to hear <laughs> the liturgy sung <laughs> or chanted.
2: Um, I'm sort of working on it. I chant it on the bike trail when I'm by myself riding my bike down the Katy Trail. I'll chant the Sursum Corda. but I got, I'm trying to get my um, courage up
0: father colin do you have any questions
3: no i i was just gonna say um I, in terms of liturgical style i would say i lean high but I, i'm adaptable right we're all adaptable um but this whole conversation i just wanted to say um really made me think of uh christ church um universal right small c catholic Universal. It's like Dolly Parton's coat of many colors. You know, we're just a lot of mismatched pieces and imperfect pieces, but we're all sewn together in God's love. Um, and we strive to work together as this, as this coat, right? And, um, and we give it a shot and it, it works well in some cases. And in some places, we're still learning to be in conversation with one another. But it's so, so good to see, you know, uh, your ministry thriving in Sedalia—that's it's so good, so good. I'm um, I'm curious what you hope is in the future for your congregations and in Sedalia.
2: Well, I I know um, just continuing to do more stuff together. My very first year here, I leaned an awful lot on my husband and had. I mean, we did two of everything. Lent and Holy Week came around, and pretty soon, we've got two of everything, because one of us is in one place and one of us is in the other. And at the end of all that, I said, this is not the way this is supposed to work, and we began very early talking about which services are we going to share. We've done Maundy Thursday um, since, gosh, 2019, the, since the second time we I've had Maundy Thursday here. It's been over at the Lutheran Church, because they're... Physical plant, their setup is perfect for the way that I really like to to observe Maundy Thursday, and both congregations like it, and so they turn out in great numbers for that. Um, and so that means that we always do Ash Wednesday here. Now I, I'm already thinking we're going to change it up for 2024. I haven't told them yet. Uh, going to flip flop that a little bit, but just doing more together. I was really um, I don't know why timid at first about saying fifth Sundays are going to be combined, because I knew that Pastor Orin Cummings was succeeding with that in Raytown. And so I brought it up last year, and the first service that we did um, combined, we had more people in attendance from each congregation than we had had, well, since we resumed after COVID for sure. um, if we'd had services in both and added it together, it was much bigger. So um that sort of told us what we needed to know. We need to be together.
3: Yeah,
0: I think that is a, oh, go ahead, Father David.
1: Well, yeah, I think that, that that's, that's the spirit that the people are beginning. It sounds like that, that folks at Christ and Trinity and, and Calvary are, are beginning to see themselves more and more as, well, one house <laughs> going back to the beginning of ecumenism, you know, one that we are, even though we might have different rooms, there's the room over here, at Calvary, there's the room over here. It is in fact, um, one house mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and all this, you know, the whole idea of the ecumenical movement was just taking to heart what, you know, Christians had kind of forgotten. Cause I, I mean, there were, I mean look we know that there were there were times where people looked at the other different denominations and basically didn't even think they were Christian. I mean everybody thought that of everybody else to a large extent. Mm-hmm. And they'd forgotten what Jesus prayed for to his father that they may be one as you and I are one. Mm-hmm. And 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 that you know there are different emphases. You know I will say I did not um I may have underplayed a little bit the extent to which the, the question of the, of the historic episcopate really was a difficult thing. It was difficult for uh, Lutherans. Uh, one thing I don't know if you realize or not, the, that the first time that the call to common mission agreement came before the, the, the main Lutheran assembly, it did not get enough of a majority to be ratified. There had to be a little more tweaking over the question of the historic episcopate that some Lutherans just could not Bring themselves to accept. And, and on the other side, I mean, look there, you know, I'm, as some of you know, I'm, I'm probably the highest when it comes to the church style here. Okay. I'm St. John's is the most anglo Catholic of the three uh, parishes in Springfield. And, and we're, and and there have been, and there have been uh, ecumenical talks between Episcopalians and Roman Catholics. And I would say as a whole, the Episcopal church is probably more Catholic than it was 50 60 75 100 years ago Mm -hmm. that we have moved in a more catholic direction in our understanding of the sacraments and perhaps also in our understanding of the ministry of bishop and the importance of the historic episcopate and so i think one of the things in the call to common mission agreement that it says about the historic episcopate is that we we being episcopalians and lutherans both accept That this whole idea of the visible chain of the laying on of hands, it is a sign of our commitment to the apostolic faith. It is not a guarantee. I think sometimes some high church Episcopalians fall into the trap of turning the laying on of hands into sort of a magic formula the same way lots of Christians might turn the Jesus prayer you know, Jesus, I'm a sinner, I want to accept into my heart, as if that becomes, that's it, you're saved. Almost like a, a formula. And this is not, these things are not formulas. They're not guarantees. They are meant to be signs of our commitment that we are trying to maintain our continuity with the church that goes all the way back to Jesus and the original 12 apostles. Even though it has been adapted through the years, that there is still a core here that to use where I use it's timeless, and so we're all just trying to become one house, and that's in your wonderful testament to that, Mother Ann.
2: Thank you. And you know we play that out every single time we that we, we baptize, when every person in the room take makes the vow again to support this person in their life in Christ, and that is true in both churches and in both denominations and for me that's when every single one of us in the house lays hands on one another and affirms each other's ministry and that's huge and and I agree with you there's nothing magical about the historic episcopate it's traditional it's timeless it's beautiful and wipe away the magic and we can be okay
0: amen well that's uh, the most episcopal answer i've ever heard oh holy smokes <laughs> <laughs> but also, I think um, your ministry is also a reflection of who we are as Episcopalians. We are equal parts Catholic and Reform. Mm-hmm. And, you know, absolutely t- to say it in Spanish, por qué no los dos, why not both, um, yeah. which, which is very fitting for us. So Mother Anne, I thank you so much for sharing your stories, your time, your wisdom about being in full communion and the practicalities of it. Father David, thank you so much for the history and the backgrounds. And um, we'll talk to you all next time, folks. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Hey, friends. Thanks for listening. Please like and subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about all things Episcopal, visit west mo.org backslash all things episcopal all things episcopal podcast is a production of the diocese of west missouri in association with resonant media the lord be with you all